This morning we began a little two-part sermon mini-series which we will conclude tonight entitled, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. In it this morning, in the first part, we talked about how the world at large desperately needs to come to truly see Jesus. To see Jesus for who he really is in order, and if they're ever going to get out of the mess that the world is in, when it comes to their sin, their death, and their eternal destruction. We also talked about how the religious world at large also needs, desperately needs, to truly come to see Jesus Christ for who he really is as Lord, Master, and Messiah if the religious world is ever going to become the one united heaven-bound force which God intended for them to be. Tonight, we're going to look at the third and final component of this sermon mini-series. We're going to take a look at how we as the Lord's Church also need to better see and understand Jesus Christ for who he truly is if we are going to make it to heaven as well. Now as I say that, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. We're members of the Lord's Church. Surely we're not blind, are we? Well, as I even think about that statement, surely we're not blind, are we? It sounds vaguely and even perhaps a little bit frighteningly familiar, doesn't it? A religious people who have prided themselves on their ability to see when others couldn't. Remember what Jesus said about this very thing as we read it this morning from John 9, 39 through 41, where Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now that you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. He told those religious people that because you think you see it all and you understand it all, yeah, you're, you're blind too. And I don't mean any disrespect. Honestly, I don't. But we need to understand that just because we're members of the Lord's Church doesn't mean that we can't sometimes be blind to some facets of what the Lord is doing in our lives as well, to some facets of who he is. Consider with me the fact that even his own first century disciples, who even those that spent three and a half years or so with him in his public ministry, they, even they, did not always clearly see Jesus for who he truly was. Even they at times were blind as to who he was. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. Fact is that many in the first century, Church of Christ, suffered from a certain degree 
of blindness as well. Just because they were members of the church did not make them immune from some forms of spiritual blindness when it came to Jesus. They needed their eyes open as well in certain places. For example, the epistle of Paul that he wrote to the Church of Christ in first century Rome was written to those who are saints. It was written to the church. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, call be saints. That letter to the Romans was written to the church there. And that church in Rome was made up mostly of <laughs> Jewish-born converts to Christ, or, or a lot of them. Jewish converts who had been baptized into Christ and had become a member of the Lord's church, just the same as, as most all of us here tonight have been. Romans 6, 1 through 4, and Romans 16, 16. But here's the thing. Some of those Jewish Christians did not see themselves clearly in the same light that God did. Some of those converts to Christ who were Jewish did not see themselves in the same light that Jesus did. They were sort of like those that Jesus had already mentioned in Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5, who, in order to clearly see, to help their brother get the speck out of his eye, needed to remove the beam or the log out of their own. And, and we would see this if we would turn to Romans chapter 2. If you turn there with me, please. You see, these Jewish Christians to whom he wrote had this propensity or this perception wherein they were blind largely to their own sins while magnifying the sins of others. We'd never do that, would we? We'd never be blind to our own sins while magnifying or seeing more clearly the sins of others. I say that totally facetiously. Romans chapter 2, verse 17 Paul writes, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law. And again, this is written to Christians. To make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You are confident in who you are. That's how you see yourselves. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal. Do you steal? Uh-oh. You who say do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols. Do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law. Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Do you see the picture here? He's asking, he said, yeah, you're teaching all these people and you see yourselves as this, this light of the world. You see yourselves as, as this, this teacher and this instructor and this person who just loves God and, and, and that's who you see yourselves as. And he said, but wait a minute. Whoa, slow down. You are teaching others all these things. Do you do them? Is your perception a little skewed? Are you a little blind to your own sins while magnifying the sins of others while teaching others what not to do? Do you do them? Just because we're members of the Lord's church doesn't mean sometimes we can be blind to certain things. Maybe you will recall the blindness of our brethren in the first century Church of Christ congregation in Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, 
Please notice this very clearly. And the only point that I'm making here is, is when you hear the opening of this sermon and you think, wait a minute, we're not, we're not the world at large. We're not even the religious world at large. We are the Lord's church. How come he's talking about the possibility that we can be blind? Well, the, the, the reason I'm talking about it, brethren, is to help us to understand and be better Christians and, and to understand that sometimes even we can be blind to who Jesus is along with certain other things we'll discuss in a few minutes. Revelation chapter 3, notice the blindness of the church of Christ in the first century Laodicea, beginning at verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. Mix those up, didn't I? So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now watch this. Look at how they saw themselves. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That's how they saw themselves. They said, well, this is us. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. In other words, you don't see. You are blind to how you truly are. You think you're this, but you're not, God says. He says, because you do not see yourself as I see you, I, verse 18, that is Jesus, I, Jesus, counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You see it? Jesus said, you think you're this, but you're totally blind. You don't see yourselves the way that I do. He says, therefore, I want you to come to me and, and let me help you to truly see. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may see. Lord, open our eyes should have been the cry of the Laodicean Church of Christ in the first century. Lord, open our eyes that we may see. The very sermon title of our little two-part sermon mini-series. So yes, the church can indeed be blind. Perhaps one of the greatest examples of this is found in one of my, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And that is in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to turn there, please. If the churches of Christ and its members, if the churches of Christ and, and the members of the Lord's church cannot sometimes be blind themselves, then Ephesians 1.15 and following has no place being in Scripture. I want you to notice what Paul, the apostle, wrote by divine inspiration to our first century brethren in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What are you praying about, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Paul said, I pray for you, to the church there in Ephesus, I pray for you 
that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Don't miss verses 18 and 19. Paul said to these Christians, I pray that the Lord would open your eyes, that you would see truly, that you might know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. Paul said, I want the Lord to open your eyes. These were brethren in Christ, baptized in Christ, same as we. They had repented of their sins and been baptized. They were faithful and redeemed in Christ, as we see in chapters 1 and 2. Of Ephesians, and yet they needed their eyes open. The bottom line is that members of the Lord's church often need their spiritual eyes open just as much as anybody in the world at large or in the religious world at large, even if it is in entirely different spiritual areas. So tonight, with the time remaining, I want to talk to you about five different areas wherein we as members of the Lord's Church are often largely or totally blinded and therefore sometimes blindsided by Satan and how we need to have our eyes opened by the great physician or if I may paraphrase the great optician in this particular discussion. Number one, the first and probably most familiar one to us of late is the one that we have been discussing in the Sunday morning adult Bible class for several weeks. And that is the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Please turn there. Luke 24. Like them, just like them, and not too much, unlike our world and even the rest of the religious world at large, we too are often blinded and need our eyes open to who the Lord really is. Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What thing? So they went on and explained it, down through verse 24. Notice verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, at that point, they draw near where they're going. They want him to come in with them. And we would notice that verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at the table with him that he broke bread, took bread, 
Blackstone broke it and gave it to him. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. Please notice the elements that were involved in getting their eyes opened, at least the ones that are listed here for us, that we can see in the scriptures. How did they come to know and to see and to have their eyes open as to who he truly was? Notice the elements involved. Number one, Bible study. Verses 25 to 27. He explained the scriptures to them. That's number one. Number two, he took bread and he prayed, you will notice. He blessed. He prayed. And he broke bread and gave it to them. Where are those three elements from for us? Bible study, prayer, breaking of bread. Sound familiar? Remember Acts chapter 2? Peter preaches the first gospel sermon. They ask what they need to do to be saved. Peter tells them. Then there's about 3,000 to obey the message. They are baptized and saved that day and added to the church. And verse 42 says they continued in the apostles' doctrine, that's Bible study, and the breaking of bread, while it's a different connotation, that's here, fellowship, Jesus was with these men, at least physically, and prayer. He prayed as he broke the bread. It strikes me that the way they had their eyes truly open to Jesus involved very much, or at least very similar to the same list, that Acts 2.42 tells us that those of us who are saved need to stick with the Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. As to our eyes being open, what helps us to open our eyes, as to Bible study, I mean, that's the very first thing here he does, is explains to them the scriptures, okay? That's what Peter does on the day of Pentecost. He goes through what Jesus went through, he relates the scriptures to it, he gives them a Bible study. As to Bible study being the one of the prime, if not the prime ways that we get our eyes open, I am reminded of the words of David in Psalm 119 and verse 18, where David said, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. You really want your eyes open? Get your nose in the Bible and keep it. You know, even we can often see only a partial picture of Jesus, just like the religious world at large or the world at large. Sometimes we can, if we don't keep studying, we can, we can come to see Jesus the same way the world does, as love and redeemer and savior and friend, which he is. He's all of those things. I'm not demeaning those. I'm not being irreverent. He's all of those things. But that's not the full picture of who Jesus is. Jesus is all of those things perfectly and infinitely, yes, but that's not all he is. He is also the Holy Lord. He is also the righteous master. He is also the king of kings. He has authority. But do we truly see and bow down and obey him as such? Or is he just this nice Savior who accepts everybody and everything and whatever anybody wants, to, that's, that's not who he is. That's the way the world may see him. And sometimes we can, we can begin to see him the same way if we don't keep our, our eyes in the scripture and have our eyes open to the fact 
that, that yes, there are going to be people on Judgment Day that he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. He's not just going to accept everybody because everybody thinks that he's going to accept them. That he calls the shots, that he is Lord and boss and master. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Luke 6, 46. So the question is, do we always see that side of him? Do we see that side of him who's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you? Do we always see that side of him? Are our eyes open to the fact that we as his people who have received mercy need to think and act and be and talk and dress and behave differently than the world around us because we understand that while he is savior and friend he's more than just friend and mr nice guy like the world sees him do we understand and do we keep our eyes open to the fact that he is also lord master judge and absolute ruler of our lives and that his law goes never forget that as loving as he is he is holy and just and righteous too a second related scenario wherein we are sometimes partially if perhaps not totally blind is when it comes to truly seeing the other servants of God around us for what they really are I want you to think about When we look at others in the church, what do we often see? Well, we see the way they dress, we see the way they act. We may, in our minds, see them as they are at this point in time, this 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 day, this week, this month, this year. We may we may see them just as they are tonight. We may see them through eyes of some weakness they have or mistake they've made or, 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 or something wonderful they've done in that moment. But listen, there's a lot more to people's lives than just this moment that we see them in. And we need to understand there's more to that person than just this moment. We would understand this from Matthew chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me. How do we see the other servants of God around us? What are we looking for? What do we see? Are we blind to who they are in the overall scheme of things, because in Jesus' day that happened. In Matthew chapter 11, as we are well aware, verses 1 through 6, John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, to ask him if he is the one, and we know what happened, and Jesus gave them their answer. And it says in verse 7, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? This is key. What did you go out to see with your eyes? What were you looking for? What was it you were seeking to see in him? A reed shaken by the wind? Were you, were you looking to see some, some weak man who every little storm or, or breeze would cause to blow about? But what did you go out to see? Jesus is really laying it in there. He asks the question, what did you go to see with your eyes? A man clothed in soft garments? Did, did you go out because you, you wanted to see what he was wearing? Is that your measure of who he was or is in this moment? Is just by what he's wearing or, or how he might be blown about if there was a storm? Is that all you went out to see? 
Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. He said, no, that, that, if you look into that, you're looking at the wrong thing. But what did you go out to see? I said, three times. If I'm in Jesus' audience at this point, I'm going, boy, is he trying to make a point? What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a prophet? Then Jesus tells them what they had been blind to. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Jesus then goes on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. If you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't you love this? Here we have the ears and the eyes. Jesus is trying to pry them both open. We talked about this morning, people that were blind and, and they closed their ears and blinded their eyes and, and all those sorts of things. And right here, Jesus is letting them know there is so much more to see about John the Baptist than you ever considered, than you ever went out to see. You went out to see who he is in this moment, how he reacts in a storm, maybe how he was dressed. But he, there's so much more to him. He has been a part of the plan of God for centuries to come in this moment, in this time. There's so much more that you missed. You were blind to. You did not see. His being there at that time to serve God in that way was nothing short of the providence of God, a plan that God had had in place for centuries, and they were blind to it. They didn't see it. But Jesus is going to make sure that they see this servant of God as far more than just him in the moment. And brethren, we need to really think about this and consider this, whenever we look at the other servants of God around us as well, think about this. You are far more in the kingdom of God than anybody's going to look at you and see tonight. You with me on this? Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, says that God has a plan for each one of us from, from day one. You turn there and look it up. Again, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. All of our days he had planned when as yet there was not one of them. His eyes saw our unformed substance. He had this plan in place for us. Listen, the Bible also would go on to tell us in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18 that God put the pieces of the body together just as he wanted them. You are here tonight because you have chosen to obey the gospel. You are here tonight to worship God. You are here because of those choices that you have made. But understand that if you are following Christ, if you are truly following him, if you are a part of his church, if you are following his plan, then the plan that brought you here is far more than you can imagine. And we need to see each other in that light, that there's far more to each one of our brethren than we see on the surface. Let's not be blind to the fact or so tunnel-visioned as to only look at the moment or the surface or the physical. Remember the book of Esther? Perhaps, who knows? Perhaps you have come to the throne to this very moment. God has put us together as a church. And there's so much more here within each one of us in our stories as God brings us together again, as he brings each part of the body together just as he wants them. That I can see in you as I look at you tonight, or you can see in me, or we can see in each 
each other. Let's understand that God is working in the lives of each and every one of our brothers and sisters who will allow him to work in their lives. Is that fair? God at work. We all have a sign, sure, that says God at work. Because he is. There's so much more to you in Christ than I see looking at you. There's so much more to me. There's so much more. They missed it with John the Baptist. Let us not be blind to the fact that each one of us is part of the plan of God. And that God has a plan for each one of us to be and work and save in, 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 in fellowship and do all these things together. And I could go on and on, but I want to move to the third one. The third very closely related scenario to the one where Christians are often found blind when it comes to seeing the essentiality of their own loving, forgiving, and being patient with and serving their brethren as the Lord has loved and forgiven them if they want to go to heaven. Let me shorten that up. One of the areas that sometimes Christians are blind is in the area of the fact that they are absolutely, as essential as baptism is, as essential as faith is, it is just as essential that we love and forgive one another. Just as essential. And if we don't, the scripture tells us we're blind. We need our eyes open. And, and I will give you that reference. But one more time, if we don't understand the essentiality of our own loving one another and forgiving one another and being compassionate and merciful with one another, just as God has been with us, if we don't understand that, then we are just as blind as the worldly or worldly religious person who thinks that they can get to heaven simply by believing. We're just as blind as they are. Turn to me to the passage, 1 John chapter 2. Check it out. 1 John chapter 2. We can be so blind. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 9 through 11. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He can believe that he sees that he's walking in the light. Just as John talked about in 1 John chapter 1. He can see himself walking in the light. He can believe he's walking in the light. But if he is not loving his brother, the truth of the matter is he's blind to the fact that he's walking in darkness. He goes on in verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light. That's the one that abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He does not know where he is going. He may believe he's going to heaven. He may believe he's walking in the light. But brethren, there's a lot more Christianity than showing up on Sunday and eating a few crackers and drinking a little bit of fruit juice. I don't know how else to say it. Are those things important? Yeah. They essential? Yeah. Still loving a brother. Let's not be blind to how essential that is. The fourth area, area up. The fourth area wherein we need to make sure that we are not blind to the truth is when it comes to how difficult and painful 
our spiritual vision correction can sometimes be. Let's expect it. Listen, spiritual vision correction, getting our eyes open to see more clearly spiritually, sometimes painful. You go to the optometrist's office. I used to hate this. They, they fixed it a little better now. One thing that drives me nuts is something in my eyes. I grew up with a lot of things, but something near my eyes is, is not something that I deal with real well. First few, few times that I went and, and they did this, it was like, ah! <laughs> you know, you take your glasses off, you head up against that little machine, and they, whoop, they hit you at the top of there, right square in the eye, right? I, like, for me, it's like, wow, you know, and I want to jump, but I just, uh, that, I don't like that. I even remember, I don't remember which doctor it was or anything else, but uh, they did it in one eye, and <laughs> I kind of had a reaction and thought, well, that's irritating. And he says, head back in here. Did you do that in my other eye? And he said, no. Well, yeah. Okay. And I sit there, I'm kind of like this, just waiting for it, you know? You see, to me, that's just aggravating, and it can be painful, and but the thing is, is that, have you ever gotten, have you ever been somewhere, and you've gotten literally dirt in your eyes, maybe, maybe, got, I mean, literal sand in your eyes? Grating, irritating, scratching, you're trying to get it out. I mean, let's face it, there's some of our brethren we know that go regularly and get shots in their eyes. I don't know how, I don't know if I, I tell you, I don't know if I, I don't think I'm mad enough to handle that. I probably would if I had to, because the Bible tells me I can do all things, but my blood pressure would be about 400 over something. We had a brother in the last congregation that I was in who tells a story at one point, um, I believe he was welding, and he got a piece of steel in his eye. And they had to, took him to the doctors and they had to go into this little tiny drill and drill in his eyeball to extract this piece of steel. Now you want to talk about somebody's stomach getting, that's mine. Well here's the thing. Sometimes our spiritual vision correction can be painful as well. Check it out in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Verse 1, as Jesus passed by, John 9, 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. The disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus goes on to say, of course, neither. Verse 6, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Did you get it? Jesus took clay, spit on it, got dirt in his hand, and rubbed it into this guy. That had to hurt. Even if you don't have some of the problems with that that I have, that had to hurt. And somebody just take dirt, rub it, take dirt, and just get down and just rub it right in your eyes. That had to hurt. You said, go watch the school of Sloan. I, I don't know how long the journey that was, but this guy got dirt in his eyes. Spit and clay. Anointed. <laughs> He's got to go to the pool of Siloam. He can't see. But he goes. He does what he's told to do. It had to be a painful journey. He's already blind. But he obeyed. He obeyed despite the pain. He obeyed despite not being able to see where he's going. But he did what Jesus told him because Jesus told him to go. And you know what happened? Look at the rest of the verse. Love this, right? 
So he went and washed, came back seeing. Suppose he cared about the pain of the dirt in his eye at that point. We need to understand that sometimes for the Lord to open our eyes, we're going to have to go through some pain. Expect it. Understand it. It's just part of the process. Because I'll tell you something. This young man may have had pain at the beginning of this account here in John chapter 9. But if I think about all the people involved in this account, and I told you this before, if I think about all of them, the parents, the Pharisees, this, this young man, whoever is involved in this story, if I could be one of the people in that story, despite the pain at the beginning, by having the dirt rubbed in his eyes, the painful thing, growing up blind, having that dirt rubbed in his eyes, going to the pool of Siloam and washing, if I, despite that pain, if I could be any one of the characters in this story, I'd want to be that young man. You know why? Because at the end of this account, he is the only one of all of the characters in this account truly see Jesus for who he was and to worship him. Yeah. Sometimes it hurts to have our eyes open. But man, the reward is out of this world. He was the only one to see Jesus for who he truly was and fall down and worship him. I'll take that. The fifth example of where we as servants of the living God sometimes need to have our spiritual vision corrected so that we are not blind, ironically, is the one from where this whole sermon miniseries originated. With something said about this one text and this whole sermon miniseries grew out of it, and I saved it till the last. This example. It got me to thinking about this whole thing about, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Is when it comes to those seemingly overwhelming life and death situations, those situations that we sometimes get into that seem to be the be-all and end-all, the big ones, those life-threatening situations and circumstances where it seems like this is it. We are totally surrounded and will certainly be overcome. There's no way out of this. There's no way through this. There's nothing I can do about this. It's over. I'm toast. I'm done. Finished. This is it. I, there's, there's no way out. Brethren, I want to tell you tonight, there is. And we need to see and I'm going to show it to you. It is a very familiar scenario and story. And we see it in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. King Assyria's got a problem. Every time he goes to attack the people of God, the people of God know he's coming. So he says, basically, which one of you is a traitor? Telling him, telling the, the king of Israel every move I'm going to make. And, and one of his servants, one of his, one of his people said, Didn't us, I'm paraphrasing, you can read 2 Kings 6 for yourself. First 10 verses. Okay, and one of his, his people said, Say to us, there's this man, this man of God who sees everything and warns the king of Israel ahead of time. And so the king of Syria said, Where is he? And they tell him where Elisha is. 
We pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 11. When the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, he called his servants and said, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? He asked. One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elijah the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Verse 13, he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. He was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dauphin. Hey, this guy he wants in Dauphin. Let's go get him. Therefore, the king, verse 14, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. Isn't it something how sometimes these great and overwhelming obstacles will come right at us out of the darkness? Never saw it coming. We're completely blind to it, and all of a sudden, boom! There it is. Well, they came by night and surrounded the city. Please note, it was a great army. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Here it is. They're surrounded. They're surrounded by the enemy. There's no way through. There's no way out. Their goose is cooked. They are done. They are finished. That's just exactly how it looks. Have you ever been in a situation where it's like, this is it? How on earth am I going to survive this intact? How on earth am I going to overcome this great problem, whatever it is, that has got me surrounded and is threatening to engulf and overwhelm me? What am I going to do? Say what you need to do. You need to have your eyes open that you may see. So Elijah answered. I'm oh, sorry, Elijah answered. Do not fear. If I'm this servant at this point, and Elijah says that and takes a breath, do not fear. I'm going to say, are you out of your mind? I don't know if he took a breath or not. He said, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We need to understand when circumstances surrounding us are about to engulf and overwhelm us, when we are in despair, it seems like all is lost. We have to understand this principle. If we are in Christ, we have got to get our eyes opened and understand this. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. So you've got the town, you've got the army surrounding them, and then on the mountains around them, you've got this far greater army, chariots of fire. This was unnatural. This was supernatural. Chariots of fire surrounding them. And more were those who were with Elijah and his servants than the enemy. We have got to understand that when God is on our side, when we are on God's side, that our God and his ability to minister and his providence and his power and the help that he has to offer is far bigger than anything that is threatening to overwhelm us in this world. 
That's the point. And we've got to have our eyes opened to that. And so often we don't, and we despair, and we fret, and we fear, and we worry. Do not fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed, said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And boy, what he saw. One aspect of God, the great optician's prescription for having our eyes open so that we can truly see and not be overwhelmed when it seems like the world is going to get us or is surrounding us, is to have others praying for us. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. We need to have others praying for us. I wonder how many times we come in and we are devastated, brokenhearted. I heard this again just this, this week. I wonder how often we come in, we're devastated, we're brokenhearted, but we don't want to share our burden. We don't ask for prayers. The key way that this young man's eyes were opened up when he was troubled in a life and death situation was for another servant of God himself, Elijah, to pray, open this young man's eyes to what's here, to what's really here, to what, to the spiritual realm and, and what's going on. You know, the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we should not lose heart because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He's just come out of Hebrews chapter 11 when, when the writer of Hebrews writes that. He talks about all these great men and women of God who throughout the centuries have overcome so much. And then when he gets to Hebrews 12, just, just turn there. It's better to read it than to listen to me paraphrase it. Hebrews chapter 12, turn there. Please, please, this is so crucial. Oh, God help us open our eyes. After he talks about all these great heroes of the faith who have endured far more, many of them individually, than you or I ever will when it comes to life and death, being surrounded and overwhelmed, he says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded, there's our word, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to understand that when we are in Christ, that no matter what is surrounding our little city or circumstance, no matter, no matter what we see as far as physical forces against us, that there is this great cloud of witnesses, there is this great army of God's people, there is Jesus Christ himself, who is our intercessor, who is our savior, who is our redeemer, who walks through the fire with us, just like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have got to have our eyes open to who is truly the most powerful and with us, church. Lord, open our eyes. That we may see. No matter what the world or the religious world does or doesn't do, Lord, open our eyes. And that is especially true of those who may be here tonight or who may hear this lesson online who have never obeyed the gospel. I'm going to ask you to turn to one final passage with me as we prepare to give the invitation, and that's Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Please notice, Paul has just explained his mission in life, as it were. Or he's explaining it to King Agrippa. And he tells him what 
God had said to him, that is the Apostle Paul, verse 17 of Acts 26, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The reason that Paul was sent out was to open the eyes of everybody to how to receive the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance God wants us all to have. Paul did that. Paul talked about receiving the forgiveness of sins here in this passage as his mission. And, and we're familiar with the phrase from Acts 2, how we are to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, written by Peter. We're familiar with Acts 22, 16, and how Paul himself was told to rise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Tonight, I'm reminded of the two blind beggars Jesus encountered on the road to Jerusalem in Matthew 20, 29-34 when he basically said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, that our eyes might be open. What do you want the Lord to do for you tonight? What area do you need your eyes open to? you need the prayers of the church that you will have your eyes more open to opportunities to tell others about the Lord? Want your eyes open to your brothers and sisters and seeing beyond the surface and peripheral of the moment? You want your eyes open to the fact that no matter how overwhelming your circumstances seem, well, listen, we can pray for you in all of these, but we can pray that you can understand that more are those with you in your circumstance than those that are lined up against you. We'll pray for you. If tonight, you need your eyes open so that you can see more clearly. We can set up a Bible study with you. Perhaps your eyes have been opened tonight to the fact that you need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Either way, the great optician is in 24-7. We stand ready to assist you tonight to clarify your vision. If you have a need in some way, we can help to do that. Please, don't just sit there. Come right now as we stand to encourage you with this song.